So uh, if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 32. Feel free to, to go to that. Uh, if you if you have a Bible or if you have uh, a browser or an app that sends you to Bible verses, feel free to, to go to that. I, I don't know about anybody else. I am, I'm, I'm feeling way um, off my game this week. It, it's just been, it's been a weird, busy week, just trying to, trying to keep up with, with normal things, trying to just sort of, um, I, I don't even, I, mean, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just in it, that it's just sort of the year 2020 in, in a nutshell, isn't it? That some weeks you, you feel like, Oh, I'm, I think, I think I'm handling this. And then there are other weeks where you're thinking like, I'm just, I really am just trying to make it until my kid's bedtime so that I can, um, just take a minute and just stare at a wall for, for, a, for a little bit. And, um, I, I don't know if it's school going back or, or what it's just, um, it's been kind of a, a hectic, sort of confusing, disorienting sort of week. So I, I don't know if it's been like that for you, but that's that's how it's been for me. So I just wanted to sort of say that up front and, and just, I mean, by way of kind of making an excuse for the fact that we're not doing communion at the end of this. Um, but um, anyway, that, that's, that's just sort of how it's been for 2020. And um, if, if it's been like that for you as well, then, you know, you're not alone. And if you've, if you've had a really good, easy uh, challenge free week, then congratulations. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think a lot of us probably can't relate to that, but I'm glad that happened for you. So, um, anyway, we're in this series that had nothing to do with anything. I wasn't like leading into some sort of like deeply, like profound, uh, sermon illustration. I was just by way of trying to, um, trying to be transparent just as, as a way of entering into this by way of saying like, um, yeah, if, if, if it feels a little bit, um, you know, off, if, if, if it's not, um, if, if I have a hard time keeping my focus, then yeah, it's, it's, it has been that kind of week. So, um, anyway, that's, that's really all I wanted to tell you. Anyway, so, but that said, we are still talking about Genesis. So if you are, if you've been following with us really since the beginning of the year, off and on, um, you know, due to other obvious things that have happened. We've been sort of starting and stopping the series along the way, but we've been in the series on the book of Genesis for a while. I think this is week, I think this is week 20 of the series, which is crazy that we're 20 weeks into Genesis and we still have, you know, some ways to go. It's just, it's a very long book and we, we haven't even really hit everything. We've, we've just hit as much as we could in the time allotted. But um, anyway, so we've been in the series and one of the things that we've sort of seen, we've been tracking this, this family and kind of their their internal struggles and their sort of existential struggles in, in a certain kind of way. We started with this guy named Abraham, who is the the patriarch, the forefather of this entire like movement of people. And then Abraham has a son named Isaac, and Isaac doesn't really do all that much in term as far as the narrative is concerned. And then Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. And what we saw for a couple of weeks is that Jacob and Esau have, even though they're twins, they have, they're, they're still like the hierarchy inside of that. So Esau is supposed to be the eldest brother who receives the inheritance and the birthright and all the things that come along with that. And Jacob is sort of su- supposed to be the youngest son who kind of gets whatever's left over. But because Jacob is kind of sneaky and wily and he had some help from his mom, but Jacob kind of 
manipulates the, the, the system and the circumstances in a way where he kind of cheats Esau out of the things that he, as a firstborn, was supposed to be entitled to at this time, which Esau doesn't take too great. The things we know about Esau are he's like very red and hairy, and also he's a, a really skilled hunter, and he, he seems to be pretty impulsive and have kind of a temper. And so when Jacob takes these things from Esau, Esau reacts very strongly about that. And he vows to kill Jacob. So Jacob, understandably, gets out of Dodge. He leaves town for a little while, um, goes and stays with his uncle, marries a couple of his cousins, normal stuff for the Bible times, I guess. So then there comes a point later on in Jacob's life where he's kind of back out on his own with his new family. And he is in the situation now where he he's about to reconfront his brother Esau. And we saw this a couple of weeks ago. We're going to revisit a scene that we saw. Um, but what we know is that Esau is coming to meet up with Jacob and he's bringing 400 of his closest friends, which to Jacob sounds like Esau's bringing an army. So yeah, Jacob is having kind of a, a crisis moment. Jacob thinks it's very possible that I might die today. Jacob is probably kind of reckoning with all the choices he's made up until this point. And He's kind of, I, I would imagine, kind of reflecting on who he's, who he's become and the choices he's made and how that's affected other people. And he's kind of like dealing with all of these things. And the night before he's supposed to meet up with Esau, he's sitting alone by a river. And again, we saw this scene a few weeks ago, but we really need to hone in on one specific element of this story. This, this to me... This to me is one of the key stories in the entire Bible, not just the book of Genesis, but the whole of the scripture. So it, it bears revisiting for, for this purpose. I mean, and I'll just, uh, to be fully upfront, when we first started our church, well, I'll talk about this in a few minutes, but when we first started this church, this was a really important text for me. This, this was one, this was a story that I continued to go back to and, and still continue to go back to. And so, so here, here's, here's what happens in the story. So in Genesis 32, verse uh, 24, it says, so Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that he was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak, which I don't, look, there's a lot of, there's a lot of question marks hovering over this. Like, who is this man? It's, um, I, I think, intentionally ambiguous as far as the man goes, there, the, the general sort of thinking is that this is a divine figure of some sort, either like a manifestation of God in flesh or like an angel of some sort. There are other theories that suggest that it's a metaphor and Jacob is wrestling with himself. There are other, uh, there, there are certain theories that it's Esau and, or like some sort of like vision or dream of Esau that Jacob is having. There's no, there's no end to the theories about this. And, and the text, I think the text leaves it vague specifically so that we, we can have those kinds of conversations and we can ask like, well, if you were Jacob, what would you be wrestling with at this moment? So, um, so anyway, so the man says, let me go for it as daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go until, unless you bless me, which is a pretty audacious thing to say to a stranger who's been fighting with you, who, who accosted you in the middle of the night. Um, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now this is, and we're going to revisit some of the things we talked about a few weeks ago when we talked about Jacob and blessing. But this is not the first time that Jacob has asked someone for a blessing under some sort of like cover of, of some sort, cover of night, cover of like the blindness of another person. And so we're now in another situation where Jacob is asking for a blessing. Now, again, to revisit some stuff we talked about before, 
the first time Jacob asks for a blessing, he's doing it in disguise. He's doing it not as Jacob. He's doing it in disguise as his brother Esau. He's pretending to be Esau so that he could trick his father into giving him the blessing that's supposed to go to Esau. So this is the second time we see Jacob asking for a blessing. But the thing is, if in this time, if you're going to bless somebody, you have to know who you're blessing. So you have to have a name. You have, you have to attach a name to the blessing. So then um, it says... The, so Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so in verse 27, the man asked him, what is your name? Now, the first time this happens, Jacob answers, I'm Esau, like several chapters before. But now the man asks, what is your name? And he, he answers, Jacob. Jacob has grown. Jacob is becoming a different kind of person. He's become a more fully evolved, more grown up type of person. He's able to, to be himself in this encounter. And it says, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob. So this whole journey towards Jacob being able to say his own name results in Jacob having his name changed. So it says, uh, then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So this word Israel, we, we now know, it has become the word that describes that th this, is, this is the identifying name that de describes not just this man, but would go on to define and describe this entire people group up to the present day. There is currently a nation called Israel, right? And so this, this is the story of like the origin uh, or of, of the origin of this word, of this name. And if you have a footnote, then you might notice where it says, so... Um, it says Israel, if, if you're looking at a, like a physical Bible or an app that has the footnotes, you might notice that the footnote says Israel probably means he struggles with God. This is fascinating, is it not? Because what we have here is we have a story about this, this name defines this entire people. And it's a, it's a name that literally means he struggles with God. Not he has great faith. And not, oh, he never doubts and he trusts all the time and he gives all of his resources out of like in, in abundance. Like this, this word means none of those things. The initial defining characteristic associated with this new tribe is they struggle with God. They wrestle. They come into conflict with ideas about God and themselves and who, who am I and what does it mean to interact with and have, have a relationship with the divine. Certainty, the whole concept of certainty, was never a condition of membership. It was almost the opposite. In fact, the, the defining term to describe this group of people is they struggle with God. I don't know about you. I, I came out of a tradition that tended to insist that, that certainty was, was one of the highest virtues. I've, I've heard a lot of sermons. I've read a lot of books. Um, I've been to a lot of youth camps where there were talks and Bible studies and devotional times devoted to this idea of we're, we're, we're after certainty, that you either have certainty in Jesus or you don't. It's, it's, it's almost like there was this product that we were selling. And the product that we were selling was the product of being very, very sure about your beliefs and always knowing that what, no matter what, I am right. And I have this very um, deeply embedded sense of, of dogma attached to what it is that I believe. And I'm attempting to, to make other people believe that because I'm so certain of the thing that I have that I need everybody else to also have my level of certainty. So it wasn't just Jesus that people were trying to encounter. It was a certainty that was meant to be associated with this. Um, 
And then before we started our church, back when I was working at a different church, um, I had a major crisis of faith. And, and what ended up happening was, and I've talked about this a lot before, but what ended up happening was I sort of had this reckoning with my whole, like the thing that has shaped me has been an insistence about certainty. And then all of a sudden, my, like all, all the things that I thought I was certain about began to s slowly sort of, not necessarily erode, but I began to sort of have this notion of what if, what if we're not, what if we're not right? What, what, what if the things that I've, I've always been certain about, what if at least some of these things are partially wrong, misguided, full-blown wrong, whatever. And so not, not only was there a fear that everything I'd ever believed was wrong, there was also a fear that I would lose my community. There was a fear that I would lose my livelihood if I talked about this stuff too much. Because when you work at a church, one of the things you don't want to start telling people is that you're starting to doubt the things that you are I mean, quite frankly, to, to be crass about it, like selling to other people. In fact, I remember um, someone that I worked with, um, I'm not going to say I confided in them because I didn't. It really was sort of more of an inadvertent, like, um, they kind of forced it out of me. Like, are you, like, uh, what's going on with you kind of conversation that um, he kind of forced me into. And so I told him, like, I, I'm, I'm just, you know, I'm kind of asking some questions and I'm, I'm just sort of trying to work out some stuff. And... The first thing he said was, "Listen, don't tell anybody. Um, you can." He, he he said, "You can tell me, but don't tell anybody else, and don't tell um, don't don't tell any anybody who goes to this church. Definitely don't tell anybody who's in your small group about these kinds of things." And so, not only was I carrying these these questions and these doubts, but I was also sort of tasked with, and the the implied sort of understanding was like, "Your job is at stake if you start talking about this too much." So. Um, and so there sort of grew this, this not, not just like the, um, this, this wrestling and these, these questions, but also kind of like this loneliness inside of it because it, it, there, was, there was this fear attached to it. Like, well, first of all, like if I start talking about my doubts and my struggles, like what if I infect, what if it's contagious? What if I infect other people with it and I give them all, and I create like existential crises for other people? Um, but then there's also the thing of like, what if I tell the wrong person and it gets back to my boss and I end up losing my job, which by the way, happened anyway. But not because of this, because of other stuff. Um, because, because I made fun of their Jumbotron. So it's, it's, it's fine to doubt the existence of God. It's not fine to, to doubt the validity of how we're spending our money. Like that turns out like that's the line in the sand. Anyway, neither here nor there. But anyway, so there, there kind of develops this, this sort of fear of what happens if the thing that I feel certain about isn't quite the thing that I thought it was. What, what, it, what if it turns out to be at the very least a little more complicated and a little more nuanced and a little bit less black and white? And, um, and it, it's, it, it can be a really scary thing to kind of wrestle with those kinds of things. But it's also, again, it can be very lonely if you have a fear of losing your community or losing your, your paycheck as a result of that. So, so not only is certainty in, in certain pockets of faith culture, not only is certainty often elevated as a virtue, but doubt is often cast as, as a serious, it's not just like a thing that you are struggling with, it's like a character flaw. It, it's a thing that you have to, like the word you hear often is like, I have to overcome it. I have to, like, um, in, in fact, I, I remember I've, I've worked alongside people who would say things like, um, who would talk about doubt as like a result of some sort of like deviant, um, like re rebellious behavior or um, attitude about, about faith. And so, 
Um, and, and so it does, it, it sort of becomes like a, um, a moral judgment, like the, the, that against people who, who have certain amounts of questions or who encounter things that maybe don't quite match up with, with the dogma that they've been given. And so, and so there creates this like really harsh amount of di dissonance that, that people have to kind of, kind of deal with. And we're seeing this a lot right now. And I mean, for the, the past, I would say decade or so, kind of, um, kind of a wave of people learning how to talk about this for the first time and figuring out that this is maybe, maybe not only is, is certainty not like this perfect product that we're, we have to sell people, maybe just the, the idea of certainty as a virtue is getting in the way of people feeling free to kind of really deal with and, and wrestle with the, the things that they've been getting, given and the beliefs that they have. I mean, look at the story we just read. Is this a story about somebody who is celebrated because he has certainty? Is this a story about somebody who's celebrated and who's given a new name because of like his, his insurmountable faith? No. The defining term about this entire group of people that would go on to be the primary subjects of the rest of the Hebrew scriptures, Israel, it means he struggles with God. He wrestles. This is, this is a story. This isn't a story about just buying a product and like getting yourself into like a box that you, you sort of just exist in where you're in this binary state of, well, I believe and I have certainty and that's it. That's the end of the story. No, the whole thing is way more complicated and way more interesting than that. The whole, it's, it's a journey. It's a development of growth. It's, it's this movement towards, um, understanding more of things and, and quite often growth is born out of a realization that some of the stuff that I was carrying early on are some of, some of these things are, I, I now, I now need to set down. Um, since starting this church, one of the things that we've tried to emphasize is the need to create space for people who are struggling and for people who are doubting or for people who are deconstructing. And and that it's not just for like people who wander through the doors. That's for everybody. That's for myself included. Like I, I, I am continuing to journey in a certain kind of way. I'm, I'm, I'm continuing to, to wrestle with new ideas and new questions. And, um, this doesn't stop just because like you get through one season of it. Like this is, I would argue it's, it's a, it's a lifelong journey of discovering not just what we think about God, but what we think about humanity and what we think about ourselves like we are constantly we are Jacob doesn't just wrestle with God Jacob wrestles with humans right it says for he has wrestled with God and man or in humanity and so it is we are we are constantly on a journey of discovery and new questions and new insight and it can be really scary it can be really hard and maybe I mean I, again I realize like this this year has been and like profoundly challenging for, for lots of us, for most of us, I would imagine. And it's been, I mean, the word disruption comes to mind when I think about 2020. I think, I've, I mean, ev literally every single thing that we thought was normal a year ago uh, isn't anymore. Even, even the stuff that we're doing, um, even, even the things that we're doing that seem normal now wouldn't have seemed normal. I mean, just the, just like the, the mask wearing and the, the need to stand further away from people in line at like Home Depot or whatever, just like the little things that we've had to sort of adjust, like that's a disruption. Any, anything, 
anything that we were doing a year ago that we're no longer doing exactly the same way, that's a disruption. And one of the things that disruption can create lots of disequilibrium. It can create lots of, um, it can be very stressful. It can be really scary. It can, um, it, it, it can, and quite frankly, it can trigger a lot of um, mental health struggles for lots of us. Um, and that's the, those are real things and those are real struggles. But one of the things that often happens in the midst of disruption is we learn something new about ourselves. We learn something new about the world around us. Um, I, looking back at, at my crisis of faith back in 2013, um, I don't think this church would have ever existed had I not encountered that. It, had, had I not kind of been put in a or found myself in a situation where, where I was wrestling with those kinds of things. If, if I had simply just like towed the party line and recited the talking points and asked no questions, then I probably would be exactly where I was 10 years ago. And I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want to uh, go backwards like that. And so it's possible you're in a place that feels deeply disruptive and you're asking new questions and you're trying to find some sense of orientation like you, you're disoriented and so maybe you're trying to find some sort of reorientation and you're really frustrated because it just isn't what it used to be and maybe the whole thing here is like yeah it, it doesn't work that way like we, we there is no reset button there there is no just like okay i'll go back to a time before i knew to ask these questions i'll go back to a time before i knew to wrestle with this notice by the way first of all when Jacob wrestles, he doesn't walk away with the same name. He's changed in some sort of way. He's not just changed because of his name, but, but look, at, look at what happens at the end of the story. And um, so it says, um, in verse 20, it says, The man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans that have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. And then in verse 31, the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. At the end of the wrestling, Jacob isn't the same person. His name has changed, but also he's limping. He has, he has had an encounter, and it has changed him. It has affected him. It has, um, it has reoriented him in a certain kind of way. And so it's possible that the things that we wrestle with and the things that we encounter and the things that really kind of disorient us, it's possible that we're going to have to limp for a little while after that. It's possible that it's not going to leave us feeling um, stronger and more just invigorated right at the moment of, um, of reorientation. It's possible that it's going to take a little while. Um, but I, I will say... That wrestling and struggling and questioning, like that, yeah, this is it was it, it. This has always been part of the deal. It's this has always been part of of the story. And when we when we try and peddle some sense of certainty, and when we tell people like, no, 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 it's about certainty. It's about making sure, like dogmatic, like you just you have this thing. And you like white knuckle all the things that you were told as a child, or all the things that you were like all the dogmas that you were handed, and you say like, okay, it goes inside this box, and I'm never gonna like mess with the box. Not not only is that not super helpful, but it actually it can be really harmful for any number of reasons. But one of the reasons is because what we're doing is we're denying our um, we're denying our role in a story that is ultimately about struggle and about questions and about wrestling and and certainty. It was never the thing. Certainty was never the goal. Certainty was never the the point. And I realize it. Certainty is a, a, an easier thing to try and like sell. It's an easier, um, 
it is an easier thing to try and convince. I mean, it, it's a really comforting thing to say, like, I know for sure, like these kinds of things. But the thing is like, that's never been part of the story. The, the story has never been about certainty. The story has always been about wrestle and uh, wrestling and about journeying and about confronting things that we need to confront and growth. And it's, it's been about um, disruption and walking away with a limp sometimes. So if you're asking questions and if you're struggling, if you're wrestling, that's normal. You are not alone. Um, I would argue it's healthy because what you're doing is you're, you're, you're looking at like where you've come from and who you are. And you're, you're, you're saying like, I, I think there's still growth to be at. I think there's still a story to be told. I think that's okay. Um, but also maybe you're limping a little bit and maybe you're, you're coming out of an encounter or a set of circumstances where things are, uh, feeling still a little bit raw and a little bit painful and you don't really have a name for it quite yet. That's, that's okay too. And this is a story that, yeah, like the, the, the wrestling and the limping has always been part of the story. So, um, so the invitation here isn't to just like overcome these things. The invitation here is to acknowledge that, yeah, sometimes we're, that's a season we're in. And if you're in that season right now, um, I hope you know that you're not alone. I hope that you know that it's healthy and that it's okay to, to wrestle and to, to struggle and to ask questions and even to acknowledge that you're limping. And, um, and may you remember in the midst of, of that, of, of what can often feel like very dark, lonely moments, that your greatest moments of growth will often come out of m moments of extreme disruption. And so, um, and so may you, may you acknowledge the disruption, may you acknowledge the wrestling, but also may you acknowledge that you're a part of a story where that's, that's part of the story. And may you also remember that you are not alone in that struggle and that you are in, you've always been invited to be a part of a struggle, a story that's about struggle and limping and renewal and reorientation. So let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the reminder that the wrestling and the limping are part of the story too. And for those of us who are in that place, may we find peace, may we find comfort, may we acknowledge where we are and what, we, what exactly it is we are struggling with, whether it is our notions of what we believe about you or our notions about what we believe about humanity or ourselves. May we acknowledge the disruption and may we in some ways harness the disruption May we acknowledge the limp and may we find that this is part of the story too. May we acknowledge that this, this has always been part of the story. And for all of us in that place, for those of us who are wrestling, for those of us who are limping, may we, at least in this moment, in this today, may we find that we have more grace and peace than we had yesterday. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. Um, if you're wrestling, if you're limping, um, I hope the rest of today can be filled with rest and grace and peace and joy for you. So uh, then may you re-enter the week with some amount of renewed energy and hope and light that you can carry with you. So we will be back with you next time. Again, there's no music at the end, so uh, we're just going to end it here, but we'll be back uh, in the feed next time. So everybody, please have a good week. Stay healthy, stay safe. Grace and peace be with you.